ready to rock. We're back in black, Nate. <laughs> I am actually wearing black pants today, so you're one quarter correct. Yeah, we need some theme music here. We need some theme music. I don't have that set up yet. Uh, yeah. I, I could live with a little ACDC. That would get me kicked off. So oh, yeah. I, yeah. That's high energy. And, you know, I, I tell our growers you have to budget a boombox, right? Right. You got to have some... I have seen that in all of the budgets you've put together. There's always a sound system. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't you can't work on a farm without a boombox. Yeah. Um so that's what? 100 dollars you want to add to your budget there? Yeah. Don't leave that item out. All right, welcome you guys, uh our lovely YouTube audience, Periscope audience. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Jason, here with our CEO, Nate Story. And founder, Nate, you've been working with agriculture for a number of years. I wanted to give you a chance to introduce a little bit of what you do for folks who may be tuning in sure. for the first time. So um, Bright Agritech uh, provides hardware, software, and services to small growers. So we're really focused on kind of helping to grow the small farm community and encourage the, the production and the sale of local foods in local communities. <clears throat> so that's at our core, that's really kind of what we're about. And so as we're doing these types of programs, um, as we're developing products, as we're providing um, services and doing other educational things, mm -hmm. at the heart of it is the desire to see more small farmers uh, yeah. in this country and around <clears throat> the world. And a lot of these folks, uh, you have some people who have grown before uh, commercially, they're, they're experienced in horticulture, but there's a whole group of people that you work with that have never really grown anything before. That's right. Yeah, so um, so most of our farmers, so most of the people entering the field right now have very little, if any, uh, farming background. So almost no experience in farming. And so part of what we do is try to bring them up to speed. In some ways, it's a really great thing because it allows us to jump right in and say, uh, you know, that's a bad habit. That's a bad habit. Don't even start doing that. Mm -hmm. This is how you should be doing things. Yeah. So we, we often talk about, you know, the technical side of growing, how to grow the crops, how to manage pests. Uh, and then we also talk about business, right? Yep. And you have a consulting team that uh, will walk, walk through a scenario uh, with a client, uh, try to establish, you know, a, a successful project. That's right. Right. Yep. So we've got a team of folks. All they do is just run through financials with folks and uh, interview folks on their markets and basically try to figure out what the best possible setup is for you as a small farmer. Excellent. So today is an exciting uh, session here. We're going to take a, a really deep look at profitability. And it's exciting because we're seeing the economics start to fall in line, right? Yeah. And we, we've tossed around this idea of field parity. Yep. Just go ahead and explain that. Yeah. yeah so um, just recently, I, I would say that both kind of this cultural shift and this technological uh, change has collided. And we have more small growers than ever before becoming economically viable and actually making good money and scaling in their market. So this is a very, very exciting thing for us. And as we talk about um, production, 
Typically, we talk about a much higher priced, higher quality product sold into niche markets, and we'll dig into that a little bit today. Yeah. But you also hear the term field parity thrown around. And this is the idea that as we get better and better and more efficient at growing, uh, we're approaching the cost of production that we experience in field production environments. So uh, we're very rapidly approaching the, the place where traditional ag for many different products is going to be overthrown by indoor growers who are growing uh, the same crops, higher quality, at the same cost. Good. So we, we often get questions about, you know, what scale do you need to go uh, in order to reach profitability? There's a trade-off, right? A, a small system will cost less, but you may not have the capacity to reach your market, right? Uh, so a retail outlet, say your local grocery store, they want a certain volume of produce, right? right? Yeah, so I mean, the one of the biggest problems we see growers uh, facing is that they think uh, it, they think about their product the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So when you're starting very small, your goal is not to go sell to Walmart. That's nonsense. Your goal should be to sell to a small health food store, to sell mm-hmm. to a couple of restaurants, to sell at the highest possible price you can get at market, and mm-hmm. that is not going to be a price that it is that is any way shape or form tied to traditional pricing in your market. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be a much, much higher price, much higher, two, three, four times as much uh, mm-hmm. for the product as they could buy it from Cisco. That's your market initially. It's small. And as you scale, of course, typically you will have to compromise on price to some extent. Mm-hmm. Now, the ceiling for that is very high in many markets. Mm-hmm. In big metropolitan areas, you can scale and scale and scale and scale at $16, uh, $20 a pound for greens, you name it, something crazy, mm-hmm. right? Before you hit the scale, we have to compromise on price. Good. And uh, I, I should say the last part of that is the idea there that some folks for these small operations, sometimes you'll hit a certain size where it's actually mm-hmm. not profitable to get bigger. Right. Okay. So today I think we're going to focus on the wholesale markets, some retail, and we're going to be taking a look at an entry-level indoor farm which we're defining today as 1,800 square feet. And you can see we might have a picture of that uh, up on the screen there. But yeah, this is 39 zip racks. We have space here for 780 zip grow towers, which is our preferred method of growing. And in a previous session, we priced out this system. All the equipment, everything you need, including nine months of cash flow to get you off the ground. So we'll, vi- we'll visit some of those numbers again here in a minute. But first, I just want to give you guys this, uh, the disclaimer, the safe harbor statement. What we're talking about today are projections. And so you can read the statement there. Uh, basically, we, we are projecting our, our production estimates, our pricing es- estimates, you can use these for business planning purposes, but we would counsel you to, to seek your own consulting before you use these for investment purposes or business planning purposes. And you might care to say something about production testing. How's that going? Yeah, so um, with all of these things, make sure you're talking with probably one of our consultants or a well-known consultant in the field to mm-hmm. get, get the correct numbers. Um, the goal, of course, of indoor growing is to standardize production yields, mm-hmm. all of these different things by standardizing environmental conditions. Mm-hmm. So um, 
So, yeah. So, uh, so, so production yeah. production will vary from grower to grower, and especially in your first year, we tend to take a very conservative approach and estimate a percentage of total system capacity. Simply yeah. because as a beginning grower, you're going to screw up, you're going to make mistakes, and um, you need to be accounting for those in your first year. Good. And so today, the the numbers we're presenting are very conservative. There's a lot of room for growth here, uh, but we did want to present some numbers that you guys can use. So Nate, you're ready to get into it? Let's do it. Okay. There's a lot of material to cover here. Uh, so we're going to first show you the internal rate of return. And this is the, the standard uh, metric that investors will use to, to evaluate a project, whether they want to, to dive into a project. This example cost $70,000 to start. There's revenue in, or net income in year one is $12,000. Year two is $15,000. Year three is $18,000. All the way up to $26,000 in year five. This is a 9% internal rate of return over a period of five years. Theoretically, you could distribute those profits to your investor after five years. But during that time, the money's locked up, right, in the business. So the first thing you might want to do is define how long will this project take to reach profitability before you can, your investors really want to see a return, right? Right. That's how much time you have to work with the capital, make something happen. So I think we'll be looking at a five-year return and a 10-year return. Okay. Okay. Great. All right, ready, set, let's do some business planning. First thing we're going to do, we're going to calculate our annual expenses and we're going to calculate our annual revenue. And then that should give us our IRR over a period of time. So if you guys are taking notes, um, we'll take questions when we're done here, uh, but we do have a lot of material to cover and I'm excited to see uh, how this goes here. So the, the definition of net income, as you know, a lot goes into it, right? right? We're talking about, uh, this is the report, usually called the profit and loss statement, that shows you the income and the expenses for a given period of time. Let's say one year, okay? So we're going to take a look at our capital investment. Again, we went through this in a previous session. We have a number here of $481,412, which includes all the equipment, the facility upgrades, and equipment for harvesting, a truck, your office equipment, and operating costs for nine months. Okay. So that's a big number, that's $481,000. And I wanted to make sure you guys had an accurate picture of our operating expenses. So Nate, catch me if I miss anything here, but this is a, a whole line of, of items here. We're talking about uh, $51,000 annually to pay off a loan. We took out, oh, this is wrong. This loan is amortized over five years, not 10 years. So I apologize for that. Um, $54,000 in salary, that's management. 
uh, 1.5 full-time managers at a $3,000 salary. And you can go down the list here, but you'll see we did include workers' comp and payroll taxes. We don't want to be surprised by those. An insurance policy for this type of food uh, operation is going to run $1,800, $1,900 over a year. One of our growers is covered and is able to, to sell his produce to Whole Foods at that rate. So don't want to forget liability insurance. And we've got all your office and marketing, regulatory, and uh, consulting budget. So what we're getting at here, Nate, is our total operating expenses, fixed and variable, is going to total $239,537 for one year. You'll notice one of the single largest expenses for operating costs is energy. You bet. The cost of lighting. You can see that's coming in at $91,000. Okay. And I think if I remember correctly, that was at uh, $0.13. Cent. Yeah, I think it was 12, 12, $0.12 cents a kilowatt hour. $0.12 cents a kilowatt hour. Okay. So good bottom line number there. And you guys may take a screenshot so you can go over those. Uh, we will make this available as a replay in case you want to review those numbers. Um, but let's talk about profit, profit now, production, right? So we have to cover all these costs and we want to reach profitability. So Nate, the first line of business here, can you kind of tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so the first line of business, uh, this is commonly what most growers jump into really quickly, mm -hmm. is um, <clears throat> lettuce in small quantities. So mm -hmm. typically uh, for retail, or if you're wholesaling them, you're wholesaling several of these to a, um, to a retailer. And uh, <clears throat> for the purposes today, we have a 10-ounce uh, lettuce clamshell. So uh, 10 ounces of lettuce at a $2.60 wholesale price. Okay, good. So pretty basic there. And we're gonna, we're gonna bring on four lines of business in our first year. So you will usually advise your growers to try crop diversification, That's right? right. Yep. Uh, try to reach a number of different markets and focus on the ones that are profitable, right? You bet. So our second line of business, uh, kale, wholesale by the pound. And can you tell us about the pricing we have here? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> $6 a pound is pretty darn conservative uh, compared to what most of our growers and farmers are selling kale at. Um, but it's a good conservative number, and it allows you to sell it by the case, uh, typically, you know, a 10-pound case, something like that, to a restaurant or a grocery store, um, or if you're bundling it up, sell it, selling it to a store that will break it down and, and bundle it and sell it to a consumer. Perfect. Okay. And kale grows pretty well in Zipgrow. Kale does grow pretty well, yep. Okay. Uh, number three uh, is mini heads of lettuce. Uh, this is not sold by weight, instead by count, right? Correct. So say a carton of 12 heads, mini heads of lettuce, about $12 each. And that would be, again, more the wholesale market. You're not going to put that on the grocery store shelf. That's right. Okay. Say restaurants, probably. You bet. Okay. And so what we did here, 
is we wanted to break down each line of business in terms of profitability. So you can see our first line of business, we pegged this at 28% of our production capacity. That's based on 780 zip grow towers. And we're getting, we're estimating for the purposes here about four pounds of lettuce per tower. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's it's a conservative number, but all of the numbers that we're working with today are worst case conservative mm -hmm. numbers. As a grower, you should of course be doing at least this good, if not significantly better. Yeah, and that goes with the pricing as well. And I I should say too, I'll use this time mm -hmm. to say that uh, the pricing that we're presenting today is very. Uh, is much closer to conventional pricing than I am personally comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Almost all of our growers are getting significantly higher values. When we talk about herbs, they're wholesaling at $2 an ounce, yeah. almost across the board. We're talking about greens. They're selling at $6 and better, $6 mm -hmm. to $12. We've got some folks that are in the 20s um, mm -hmm. for greens. And so um, the important thing to realize here is that, that we are presenting conservative numbers. Mm -hmm. And you need to go through and kind of do all of this for yourself. Good. So what's exciting here, Nate, is that with a conservative outlook, we're still seeing profitability. Uh, we're going to get into the profit numbers here in a minute, uh, but there's a lot of room for growth. Uh, so that's, that's exciting to me. What I want you to notice here is that the 10-ounce clamshell priced at $2.60 per unit is bringing in about $40,000 a year. And that's based on 12 harvests per year. Okay. And so keep that in mind. The next one, kale, wholesale by the pound, highly profitable crop. At $6 a pound, we want to we want to peg this at forty percent of our production capacity, uh, so almost half of our production floor just for kale, and we're getting almost ten thousand dollars per harvest, over hundred thousand dollars a year, and we broke this down per tower, that's three hundred and sixty dollars in annual revenue per tower, okay, so that's one we may want to keep in mind. That's a good crop, if you have the market for it, right. uh, could be a really valuable line of business to pursue. That's correct. Right. And finally, basil. Uh, this is our powerhouse, right? And you will usually recommend go, go strong after herbs, uh, the herb market, right? That's right. Anytime there is market, anytime the market can absorb your production for herbs, um, grow herbs. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no reason to grow anything else. If the market demands more basil, more mint, more chives, more parsley, more oregano, mm -hmm. grow those things. Don't yeah. grow anything else. Yeah. So, well, and people eat less, fewer herbs per year. That's right. So it's not going to move quite the volume, say of kale or lettuce, but they're highly profitable. The margins are significantly higher. We've only got 10% of our production floor for basil, and we're bringing in $75,000 a year on this crop. And we're, uh, we can get into the assumptions a little bit later here. Finally, our mini heads of lettuce. Uh, people love lettuce. We've got 22% of our production floor for lettuce and $12 a box for, for 12 mini heads. 
that's bringing in almost $30,000 a year. So putting it all together, year one net income. Thank you. I think we have the graphic up. We spent $481,000 to get this operation off the ground. And that includes nine months of operating expenses. So we wanted to go ahead and cover those additional three months of operating expenses, about $60,000. And our, our lines of business from those four crops are bringing in around $218,000 in total revenue. So year one net income clearly is going to be in the, in the red. And that's the basis for our, our year one internal rate of return. Okay. Everybody with me? <laughs> Thanks for keeping up. Hope you got your notes out. And there you go. Year one IRR. All right. So what happens here, Nate, is your year one is critical. You're dealing with high cost of startup, uh, pre-sales, getting to know your markets. And can you tell us a little bit about how we're going to reach profitability here? How do you advise a grower to kind of reach that target market to really optimize their profitability? Right. So the, the, the two big mistakes that growers make usually in year one is um, it, it has nothing to do with the growing. So everyone assumes I'm going to come in, I'm going to botch this, I'm going to be at 50% capacity. We almost never see that. That's very rare. Uh, it does happen. Um, but by and large, the biggest mistakes people make are with pricing um, with uh, inadequate sales and marketing efforts and activities, and uh, then with choosing the wrong lines of business, mm -hmm. right? So on the front end, everyone wants to get into greens. They, mm -hmm. They'll focus on greens instead of focusing more on herbs on their higher margin, lower volume products. Mm -hmm. And so um, that that's, that's the most common mistake. The second one is that they'll come to market with, um, with pricing that is is not ideal, right? Mm -hmm. So they will assume they are in the exact same business as Cisco, and you're not. Mm -hmm. You're not. The The grocery store is getting a much better product. I would say a different product altogether yeah. from what they've traditionally received. And if that's where your mind's at, you'll come in and you'll charge the appropriate pricing, which may be right. 2 or $3 an ounce wholesale, right. maybe more Okay. for herbs. Good. So it's worth saying the numbers we just presented for year one – we're at 80% of our production capacity. That's right. So we're assuming for year one that you you will only sell 80% of what you can grow. And that just gives us a little bit of wiggle room there so yeah. that we don't have to reach 100% capacity in year one. And it should be pointed out that though these all figure in a very extremely conservative 10% crop loss right. uh, factor in, into that as well. Uh, yep. which is double the industry average and certainly much higher than most of our growers' experience. Good. So, again, conservative numbers here. Um, let's keep going. And what happens in year two is you learn a lot of lessons, right? And I, I – so what we did here is we focused on our higher margin crops. Um, we wanted to – we're in revenue year two and total revenue, $245,000. And that's going to lead us to 
a five-year IRR that's in the red, okay? So we're, we're bringing in $245,000 a year. We're ha we have $240,000 in operating costs. So clearly this is not the ideal scenario. What we wanna do is counsel the grower to focus on the higher margin activities, right? That's right. So this is, this is a grower that comes in year one, makes some mistakes, learns a lot, but the big thing that he learns is one, he's mm -hmm. in the wrong line of business, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to market with things that are more commodity mm -hmm. than they are specialty. Mm -hmm. And so right off the bat, um, you mm -hmm. can you can shift right. uh, your internal rate of returns upwards significantly by focusing on the right product. So I think Good. in the next year we show what that looks like. Yeah, well, those are tough lessons, you know, and I'm sure you talk with growers all the time that are, are wrestling with, you know, which line of business to pursue, um, which markets to, to go after. So let's avoid those lessons early on if we can. And I want to just point out the assumptions here that form the foundation for this analysis. So uh, a closer look at these assumptions, year one was at 80% of capacity. We're really limited by the market penetration that, that you have. Again, it's easier to grow the crops than it is to sell them. That's right. Right. So we're talking about the, the business side of, of the equation here. In terms of production, we're estimating four pounds a to per tower for lettuce, 4.5 pounds per tower for basil, and five pounds per tower for kale. And maybe worth mentioning, these are, these are numbers that are pretty robust and really rely on the strength of the zip farm and the zip grow technology, right? That's right, yeah. So the two items we wanna uh, zoom in on are your pricing, and the line of business, okay? So we're in a product scenario A, and we're looking at our most productive lines of business clearly are basal, $1,080 per tower annual revenue, and kale is right up there. We're looking at about $360 per tower uh, annual revenue. That's right. Okay. So if we can, we'd like to increase the production in those in those areas. We may reduce our, our clamshells of lettuce, and we may cut our mini heads of lettuce altogether. Yeah, you bet. Okay. So, Nate, let's take a look and see what happens when we uh, kind of pursue these lines of business. So first thing here is a, a, a new product here. We want to bring on a new line of business, a three-quarter ounce clamshell of basil. And you've also counseled your growers to pursue the other herbs. That's right. So um, basil is just one of the herbs that does very well. The cornerstone, uh, basil is, is almost always going to be your your primary seller in the herbs mm -hmm. category, but very close behind it is mint, especially in, in, in certain markets. Mm -hmm. um, but growers have great success with chives, with parsley, with oregano, with some of these other culinary herbs that um, really derive their value from being extremely fresh. 
And so, um, again, here we have a three-quarter ounce herb clamshell. Uh, we're wholesaling at $1.25. And, um, th- again, this is a conservative number. If you're considering going to market, I would say don't you dare consider selling at $1.25. Mm-hmm. Sell at a hard $2. I would never go under that. Mm-hmm. And try to sell it for 3 or 4 Right. So, you know, I'm trying to imagine what this might look like in negotiations uh, with a, a retail manager. Yeah. And I'm imagining, you know, how to present a product as something that's fair, pretty much brand new to the market. Yes. Right. So um, we have a webinar called Negotiating with Produce Managers mm-hmm. that is out there. I believe it's on Upstart University. So okay. uh, definitely check that out. And that goes into a lot of detail on how to negotiate. And I will say our growers who have had the best luck, they go in and they play hardball and they'll take bathroom breaks and call us and say, they're saying this, is this true? Mm-hmm. And it takes several hours okay. to, to, to land a good account at very good pricing. Right. And so your growers are in uh, retail outlets and Whole Foods in a variety of places. You name it, all over the place. Okay. Yeah. And without fail, almost all of them can get at least $2 an ounce. So one of the barriers to entry here that's really interesting is when you encounter a a whole chain of grocery stores, right, and they may have a test location with a single facility, a single location, but the goal is to get onto all of their shelves in in that particular region, right? That's right. So trying to get into 10 or more grocery stores, you know, that's a pretty significant negotiation, right? It is significant, and... Um, it, it is not an easy one either. I don't want to downplay it. It is hard mm-hmm. negotiation mm-hmm. because the produce manager will look at your clamshell of basil and say, how is this any different from the clamshells that we already have on the shelf? Right. And your job as the grower is to sell them. And honestly, as the grower, you are in a better position to sell your product than anyone else right. um, to explain to them why this product is better. Right. Taste it. You know, right. taste this trash off of the shelf that's been sitting there for a week right. and taste mine. There's a difference. Customers will pay more. They'll pay mm-hmm. more for the branding, for the labeling, mm-hmm. um, and they'll pay more for the quality. Good. Okay. So there you, you go. Check out that webinar if you get a minute. Now, to bring on this line of business, we're going to need to some additional uh, costs here, right? And so additional packaging and distribution expenses... Uh, we added two full-time workers just for packaging and distributing these clamshells. Again, we're packaging thousands of these a week. Yep. Right. So we're adding significant costs there just to package the product. Okay. So sorry, $58,000 for two full-time packaging and distribution, or about $2,400 a month in salary, and we went ahead and covered their workers' comp and their payroll taxes. Uh, so that expense brings our total annual operating expenses up to $307,000. Worth mentioning, these are healthy numbers. Uh, if you guys notice anything that we missed in our business planning, go ahead and let us know in the chat bar or send us an email. We wanted to cover all the expenses and still see how we did in profitability, right? Right. Don't want to be taken by surprise uh, by one of these expenses. So looking at a revised scenario, Nate, we went ahead and bumped up our wholesale basal. Uh, This is optimize your lines of business. We bumped up our basal to 15% of our capacity. 
Uh, we kept our lettuce, 10-ounce uh, lettuce, at about 30%. Our kale remained at 40%. And we added three new lines of business for mint, basil, and parsley, each at a small 5% of our production capacity. And it's, it's really worth uh, noting what this does for our profitability. So the increased profitability here, we now have six lines of business. And you can see, even after a 10% crop loss, we have total revenue of $455,000. Okay, again, 780 Zipgrow Towers here. <laughs> I find that pretty significant, right? That's a lot of produce. Um, and so in our scenario B, you can see, again, our year one is, is in the negative. It's in the red. Uh, but year two, we're seeing $147,000 in net income. After we pay off our, our mortgage, our amortization in five years, we're almost $200,000 in annual net income. So the takeaway here, Nate, we're seeing a break even in year three and four and pretty good profitability years four through 10. I think these are numbers that are, that are worth noting. Wouldn't you agree? Yep, absolutely. So uh, for many of our growers, they find that they hit, hit break even much sooner. Mm -hmm. Again, we're dealing with fairly conservative numbers here. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this is uh, this is actually a little bit slow for a lot of our growers when it comes to hitting break even and mm -hmm. and starting to see returns. So. Sure. Well, so yeah, we're paying off a half a million dollars nearly in startup costs and still reaching profitability in year three. So. Good numbers here. Take take uh, take those for, uh, face value, and let's just open it up for questions and kind of see what this uh, discussion leads to, Nate. You bet. So we'll we'll take a look. If you have questions, go ahead and send those in. And again, thanks for joining. I guess my first question for our audience is: What are the lines of business? What are the crops that you would like to pursue? And the crops that you think your market is demanding. We'll go ahead and take a look and see if we can help answer your questions. I promise not to be too mean to the folks mm -hmm. that are really focused on greens and lettuce. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say that my question is, every time I talk with a grower who says, I'm growing more and more greens, you know, and I ask them, well, are you growing basil? Are you growing mint? Are you growing culinary herbs? Mm -hmm. Yes. Is there more market demand for those? Yes. I always say, why? Why are you growing greens if there's more market for your herbs? Mm -hmm. Because typically your margins are so significantly better. Yeah. I guess uh, just kind of a, a point to tack on the end there is kind of that, that line of business analysis that we did in, in this little process here mm -hmm. is worth doing even if you are profitable, even mm -hmm. if you are uh, doing very well in your marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, if you have expanding demands in all of your different lines of business, every single year looking at that mm -hmm. and saying, how can I shift production from one category to another to maximize my profits? That is a, a question worth asking mm -hmm. um, every single year, even if you're profitable. Mm-hmm. 
Good. So we have a response here. Uh, Marvin Golden. Thanks for tuning in, Marvin. And he he's uh, <clears throat> looking at growing lettuce, basil, kale, collards, and mint. Sounds like a pretty good crop mix. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's I mean that's that's actually a pretty typical crop mix. Um, oftentimes, for growers that are kind of looking at say. Uh, three to five different types of crops when um, one or two of them are already herbs. If you have a foot in the door, if you have a market for these things, um, that's another thing to consider is once you've opened the door to sales, uh, it makes it much, much easier. The 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 hurdle to adoption for your buyer is much, mm. much lower now. So yeah. you can take them chives, you can take them mint, you can take them these other herbs if you're already selling them basil, and it'll right. be a very natural uh, thing for them to say yes to those. Right. Well, and it's another good reason to uh, look at that those lines of business in year two. If you already have an established track record, uh, with your your customer, it's going to be a lot easier to bring on additional lines of business. That's right. That's what you're saying here. Um, good. Question. Uh, what is the most profitable crop? Um, the most profitable crop is almost always going to be basil or mint. Um, and these are the two crops that are in higher and higher demand. Um, the question I always ask folks is, when you were a kid, did your mother cook with fresh basil or dry basil? Mm-hmm. And almost everyone says dry basil. Mm-hmm. And in my house, it was always dry basil. It was dry herbs. Mm-hmm. Everything was dried. And if you go to the grocery store, you'll notice that the er- the dried herbs shelf has shrunk a little bit. If you talk mm-hmm. with the manager, grocery managers, they'll tell you that that line of business is not growing at nearly the pace it used to. Mm-hmm. Instead, demand has shifted to fresh herbs. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about an uh, incredibly fast-growing segment of the grocery market. And um, it's not a fad. I believe that it is a trend mm-hmm. on the uptick. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's it's something to note uh, when, when people underestimate the market for basil, mm-hmm. for fresh basil. Uh, the thing they don't understand is that it's it's migrating demand from dried herbs and this entirely mm-hmm. new class of foodies of people that want fresh, fresh right. things. Hard yeah. to beat basil. Mint, in some markets, mint is right up there with basil. Sure. Well, there's a lot we could talk talk about here. Um, you know, if, if kale is in demand, you could theoretically uh, build an entire farm dedicated to kale and come out just fine. Right. Um, that's, that's where it comes in, you know, looking at your lines of business and mm-hmm. trying to understand very clearly uh, what are you good at and what does the market want. Right. right. And what's most profitable and then ruthless pursuit of profit. Sure. Um, because ultimately the success of your business depends on your ability to scale and your ability to um, keep things on the rails. So Good. So we've got some good questions here. Uh, thanks, you guys, for your questions. Uh, from Stephen Lau, how do, how do you do market research before getting started? The most simple way to get started is just to walk into your local grocery store, look at the price on the shelf. A lot of grocery stores will have about a, they'll mark it up between 50 and 100%. A 50% markup is pretty standard. And so if you go in and you see a carton of herbs selling for $3, most likely they're buying those 
uh, between $1 and $2 wholesale. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's almost across the board. And if they tell you anything different, they're not being entirely honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you can usually get a very good feel for what your market wants that way. Uh, then, I w- th- then I would talk with your produce managers and ask them right. what their highest volume products are. Yeah. So that's- ask them what their highest margin products are and what their highest volume products are. And anything that gets mentioned in both categories is a good place to start. Yeah. And we won't get into the negotiations here because that's that's tricky, right? It's especially yeah. before you have a crop to show the manager. That's right. Go right. watch. Go watch, listen to the uh, negotiations uh, webinar for that. Good. <laughs> okay. Question from Dana, I believe, uh, and uh, says. Herbs are in high demand in this area, but I have no idea how to convince a restaurant person to buy them. What do you advise? Um, so a lot of folks get into growing because they think they want to be farmers. And the hard reality is that you're going to spend as much time on your business management um, in your books, doing sales and marketing mm-hmm. as you are going to spend in your growing mm-hmm. uh, environment, tending to your plants. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, this is kind of a hard reality is you just have to basically get feet on the ground, run out there, knock on doors, talk with people. No one is going to be more passionate about your product than you are. No one is going to be more uh, able to sell it than you will be. And so going out and talking with chefs, you know, in this this instance, talking uh, with restaurants, there's also a webinar on negotiating with restaurants. So... Uh, selling to restaurants, uh, go watch that webinar. That will definitely help. But um, find who to, find the decision maker um, at each of these small businesses and sell them on your product. Yeah. Um, and the important thing to remember, and I will I will beat this dead horse again and again and again, is that you are not selling a traditional product. You are selling something entirely different. Right. And if that is your mindset going into that discussion with the chef, with the produce buyer for a restaurant then um, you will find that the outcome is very different than if you go in assuming that you're going to be essentially competing with Cisco. Well, so, yeah, one of the uh, topics I heard you mention was uh, in the presentation of, say, a salad, your your weight might be less, but because it's fresher and bouncier, it's going to present at a, a larger plate than, than your Cisco product. Right. right? So, I mean, there, there's... Everything has its angle, right? And so when you're talking with growers you, or, or with um, restaurant buyers, you can be talking about the volume. You can be selling them re- these really dainty head lettuces that they cannot buy anywhere else because they don't transport, mm-hmm. right? So you focus on your strong suits. What are the benefits that you have from growing locally? That's mm-hmm. going to be freshness. That's going to be unique products that no one else can offer because they don't transport. That's going to be the aromatics, the oils, the flavors. And so, yeah, I mean – if if that's something a chef brings up, I say, well, are you se- is your customer weighing the salad? Right. You know, no, they're not weighing the salad. They remember its flavor. Uh, volume might stick in their mind, sure, but color yeah. and flavor and quality are the things that stand out. Right. And that's something that you, as the grower, can offer. And so, walk in and sell them on that. Right. And sell them at a price that's twice what they're paying right now. So, if we can, Nate, I'd just like to review one of the slides we put up. Uh, the increased profitability here. And just go through these lines of business real quick to summarize. Um, Now, again, this is all um, a projection, but this is a fairly robust crop mix here. 
uh, we're looking at 15% of our production capacity solely dedicated to basil by the pound wholesale. That crop alone is worth $113,000 a year after a 10% crop loss. The next highest is the basil, or I'm sorry, the kale uh, wholesale by the pound, 40% of our production uh, dedicated to kale. And what's interesting here is the mint, basil, and parsley in, in the small three-quarter ounce uh, clamshell is only 15% of our production, but bringing in nearly $180,000 in annual revenue. So again, a key takeaway here, these are a small percentage of our production, but highly profitable. What's the main bottleneck you know, to, to getting this level of production uh, for herbs? Yeah, so uh, on the growing side, the, the growing is fairly straightforward. Um, it's lining up accounts, right? So mm -hmm. it's on the outside. After you've grown, uh, well, before you've grown, but post-production, mm -hmm. uh, post how are you packaging it and how are you selling it? So when we're talking volumes like this, uh, you need to be moving larger volumes. So mm -hmm. and, and to be... Honest, this does not take into account any direct-to-consumer type sales. Right. So CSAs, that kind of thing, are great for volumes. Farmers markets can be great for volumes. Direct-to-consumer uh, type things can be great for volumes and much, much higher margins than we have listed yeah. here. But to move big, big, big volumes, you have to have grocery store accounts. So mm -hmm. you have to be working with institutions, selling to cafeterias, that kind of thing. Um, or selling to grocery stores. Grocery stores are typically the best place to start because your likelihood of getting the margin you need is better at a grocery store than selling to an institutional customer. Okay. Um, restaurant accounts, if you can organize them, uh, can <clears throat> be very good as well, but there's much higher logistic uh, cost to uh, managing restaurants than there are to grocery store accounts, unless you're using something, uh, software like Able. Yeah. Like Abel, <laughs> there you to go. Uh, help manage manage those. Yeah, well, good. So, lot to go, lot to to unpack here. But I'm going to go ahead and uh, look at the audience questions. And I guess it's uh, worth pointing out we are continuing to talk about profitability, uh, specifically on Thursday uh, with our with a new product launch that you have coming up. That's right. So, uh, if you want to see how these LED lights are powering big production numbers, right? Join us on Thursday and we'll be looking at Nate's brand new LED lighting solution. And I can't say more than that, uh, but I uh, would like to invite everyone to tune in for that event. All right, question from uh, Profitable Growth Services. Thanks for tuning in. How large of a population are you serving with the operation that you describe? Is it a town or a business? Yeah, so um, it's highly variable. Most of our growers are growing in communities from a few thousand people all the mm -hmm. way up to very large, um, mm -hmm. very large areas. So um, it, it's highly variable. So for something like this, you, I think that we were figuring you'd be looking at about five grocery stores. 
around five grocery stores to unload these types of volumes mm-hmm. um, if you're just selling through grocery store accounts. Now, if you're selling to restaurants, if you're doing any direct-to-consumer stuff, which we would highly encourage, didn't include here, but I would highly encourage it, um, you can reduce the total number of stores. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a community with five grocery stores, that's basically the size that a facility like this serves, right. serves fairly so well. So we're here in a town of about 30,000, maybe 35,000 on a good day. Yep. How many grocery stores do we have? Uh, we have two large ones and uh, three if you count kind of our local uh Right. Natural food store. Yeah. Right. So that gives you a good idea. Now, the interesting thing is sometimes it depends on the size of the chain that you're trying to get into. Yeah, that's right. And we spoke uh, with one of our growers uh, recently and, you know, Safeway uh, is a big chain, hundreds of locations regionally. And so they're less likely to take on a test location because they're dealing with a larger supply chain they don't want to f- break it apart and fragment it, right? Right. You, you, you know, you're, you ha- typically have better luck attacking smaller stores, independent grocery stores, um, or stores that have you know publicly committed to buying uh, mm-hmm. food from small producers. If you're going to sell to grocery stores, folks, at, uh, places like Whole Foods. Yep. Um, I will say that this is very nuanced, and and I, we have to be really careful, kind of about how we talk about market size, all that kind of thing, because you need to be doing this analysis for your mm-hmm. specific markets. Mm-hmm. For instance, here in Laramie, you know, the, the weird thing about Laramie is that we've got two big grocery stores, three grocery stores all together, but half of our population is students that eat at the cafeteria. So, in a town of thirty thousand people, fifteen thousand are actually buying groceries, and the other fifteen thousand right. don't. Um, so, you know, this is something that kind of skews all of the data in, in strange directions. Mm-hmm. And you, you really have to look at your specific market because um, that may, for our markets, it may mean that there's an opportunity for us to sell to the university, to mm-hmm. sell to the cafeteria, right? And it also may underrepresent the, the real demand that would be associated with a true population of 30,000 grocery buying people. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that a facility this size could be pretty easily supported by a community our size once you take into account direct-to-consumer sales mm-hmm. and sales to restaurants. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we didn't cover direct-to-consumer. may uh, talk about that an- another time. Yeah. But I, I understand you do have a webinar for, for direct-to-consumer markets. That's right. If you guys are interested, check out uh, university.upstartfarmers.com. And we'll take one more audience question here. Um, Nate, uh, any questions here you want to take on? Uh, Specialty crops. What are your thoughts for specialty greens like red vein sorrel and mache for high-end restaurants and their profitability? Specialty crops are amazing. Uh, With specialty crops, your margins can be much, much higher. The cost for specialty crops typically comes uh, from from lower production, that is less output per unit of input, Mm -hmm. and then the logistics cost of managing uh, smaller account sizes Mm -hmm. and and smaller volumes because these are typically sold in much smaller lots and much smaller volumes because they are a specialty product. However... 
They are not just an incredible opportunity for a very high margin product, but they're a great opportunity for making inroads and building loyalty with some of your customers. So for instance, this is the way that the conversation or the relationship looks. You're selling to a restaurant, you're selling them greens at say twice the the industry average, um, and you're also selling them all of these specialty products. Um, and they come to you and they say, your lettuce pricing is too high. And you say, well, okay, well, then maybe my specialty crop pricing is too low. Mm-hmm. And um, it's basically a, another uh, little thing in your arsenal for, for negotiation, but also for making inroads and building relationships with restaurants, with consumers who don't uh, have access to these things typically. So something like uh, lamb's lettuce or mache. Uh, is delicious green, a very high-value green. Here in the States, it's worth a lot of money. And um, it's just something that people struggle with getting anywhere else. So being able to offer that to someone gives you a unique advantage in the market, a unique voice, Mm -hmm. and um, allows you to demand premium pricing. Right. So a question here, uh, Nate, from Marvin. Uh, Thank you, Marvin. And a previous question was from uh, Jesus Alfredo. Thank you, Jesus, for the question. And uh, Marvin's question is, are there any other high-value crops that we should explore after we've been in production for a few years to maximize profits? You bet. And again, we're going back to this crop diversification strategy. It's a critical concept. We have to understand it, right, Nate? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that almost always arises in this conversation is cannabis. Someone mm-hmm. always brings up cannabis. And down the road, I think that we're going to see the two markets um, kind of collide in a much more holistic way, in a way where kind of uh, producers are engaging in both activities. Activities have traditionally been very separate. Right. Um, so I think that we're going to see some movement in that direction towards the merging of those two um, industries, the vegetable and the uh, cannabis production industries. Um, so, you know, that's that's something that's kind of a, that's at the top of the list, of course, for, sure. for down the road. So from uh, a, from a crops perspective, um, it's worth experimenting. Right. Yeah. So tying into the specialty greens question from before, you should be trying these things. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've grown red vein sorrel and mache mm-hmm. and and sold it. Um, so it really just kind of depends on your market. What do you think you can sell? And the question to pose is when you're talking with chefs is to say, what do you wish you could have that you just can't have, right? right? What's your dream product? And they're artistic, uh, the chefs, right? They, they're artistic. They're, um, they're, they're people that, that really, they've worked with these things in the past and they can't get them, you know, here in Laramie, certainly not. Mm-hmm. And so when you go to them and you say, I can get you mache or red vein sorrel, they go, you know, Good. that's what I want. Well, so. it, I, I guess what I wanted to hear about was, <clears throat> you know, fruiting crops. And sure. we've recently done uh, or we're doing a workshop with Beto buckets here in a little while. Um, is it worth looking into cherry tomatoes? Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know, Nate, you're passionate about growing all sorts of crops. Uh, there's just a different unit economics when you're talking about fruit, uh, fruiting crops. Is that correct? That's right. So um, fruiting crops, with all of these different things, you want to approach the market from the least commoditized side of things. Mm-hmm. So if you're approaching the market from the most commoditized side of things, you're always going to be fighting that comparison in your buyer's mind mm-hmm. between your product and the product next to it. 
if you come at it from the other side of things, if you position yourself as completely different, then there's a lot more opportunity. And that really ties into the fruiting crops things, mm -hmm. uh, into the fruiting crops question. Yes, fruiting crops can be a great uh, thing to add for diversifying your overall revenue streams. However, with a lot of fruiting crops, what we begin to talk about, because they are actually less production, productive, the amount of biomass that's produced per square foot or per unit of energy input is much, much lower because you're taking this energy and you're growing a plant with it and the plant is taking that energy and, and condensing it into this, this crop. Right. So your overall productivity goes down if you're just talking raw okay. biomass. So if you can sell lettuce leaves for the same price as you can sell tomatoes, it doesn't make sense to dive into tomatoes. But um, it's definitely worth looking into. All markets are different. And if you can get higher prices at market for something like cherry tomatoes, then by all means, uh, give it a shot. Good. <clears throat> Nate, uh, we're about to the end of our time here. I want to thank you for kind of unpacking those uh, tough questions. I know you guys are wrestling with some tough questions out there. So just a quick summary. Uh, we're looking at the slide IRR in scenario B. And we're this scenario we just described, Nate, is six lines of business. Basil, lettuce, mint, kale, and then some herbs by the clamshell. And we're the IRR we're showing here is break even in year three, 18% IRR in year four. And after year five, we're paying off our, our amortization, our loan, and we're seeing significant returns, right? So again, take that as a as a, a healthy sign. Uh, you know these are facilities that can produce quite a bit of produce, and f if you find your market, we're talking pretty healthy profits. That's right. So you guys, those are the numbers. If you want more detail, uh, if you have any questions, please reach out to us here at Bright Agrotech. Nate works with a, a crack team of of agricultural consultants, and we'd be happy to work with you on a one on one basis. Thanks for tuning in. Yep, thanks.